Ephesians 6.10. In our walk through Ephesians, we're really in chapter 5, um, and you get into those passages of uh, exhortations to wives and husbands and children and employers and employees, and uh, just really think that's going to end up being a series that we do when we get back from uh, Nepal. We did a, I think it was 14-week series uh, called Gospel Family about oh, four years ago, five years ago. And so um, we may revisit some of those teachings uh, regarding the family. And so um, I'm excited as we go to Nepal. We've got a good group of guys filling in for me while I'm gone. Uh, we've got um, Johnny, Fred, Adam and Kevin will be teaching the Sundays and Wednesdays while I'm gone. So that'll be exciting. And they'll be doing a series on Philippians together. Uh, so you guys will go through Philippians while um, we're away in Nepal. So that'll be exciting. And uh, anyways, uh, just tonight, I was preparing this message for Sunday morning. And we got really snowed out and had to cancel. And so um, we're going to come to it tonight. Uh, chapter 6, verses 10 through 20, um, and we may end up kind of coming back to it later when I get back on a Sunday, because there's only so much we can cover um, this evening, but I titled it, um, The Spiritual Battle and the Need for Boldness in Evangelism, and how interesting that those things go hand in hand uh, in this chapter, that there's a spiritual battle and there's a need for evangelism, and that just is so fitting for what we're doing in Nepal in the next couple of weeks. And really what our ministry, um, it's a good reminder, anyone might check your phone, make sure the ringer's off, I need to check mine, um, that there is major spiritual warfare uh, that we don't want to be ignorant of, and there's a major need to open up our mouths and preach the gospel. And that's not just abroad, that's here as well. So let's look at verse 10, where it says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Next month, uh, you guys will be going through Philippians, and exactly halfway through the book, uh, Paul uses that word, finally, my brothers, you know, and then he goes on for another, like, two chapters. Um, that's not the case here, but he really means, like, I'm wrapping things up here. Um, but it's all in light of what he has, has mentioned so far. He's just done such a great job of showing the wealth of blessings towards Christian in God's sovereign hand of choosing and predestining. And you see all that in chapter 1. Uh, you see his great plan to um, create a new person in a believer, not Jew or not Gentile, but a, a believer, a Christian. Uh, you see the unity that he wants to bring. You see the purity that he wants to bring in light of these wonderful gospel truths and, um, and now he's going to tell us that because he's had such a great plan for us, there's going to be a major battle uh, going against Christians because, because of the wealth of blessings against them. And, uh, and so he says uh, to the brothers there in Ephesus, be strong or be able. And he's all about strength. And he's all about writing to the Ephesians about this mighty strength. He's done it two times already, once in chapter 1, once in chapter Three, and it's a good word for us. Anybody here feel feel weak in their walk with the Lord, or anybody feel weak in uh, in the commission that He's called us to, and the great things that He's sorry, 
move that a little bit away. Uh, the things that he's entrusted us to, anyone like majorly strong in that, no problem. Or, or like we just see like, man, I just, I know there's got to be more. You know, I know that, that you've provided more, God. And, and so what's up? What's up with my life? Why is it just weakness and a year's gone by and I haven't even shared my faith with anybody? Um, a year's gone by and I haven't, I haven't even served anyone um, in my community, in my church. Uh, I'm afraid and I'm scared. And there's a great word for you tonight. To be able. Be strong. Be able. You can be able. The word that Joshua was commanded to be strong and of good courage. Don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed. The Lord our God is with you wherever you go. And just have to remember that. Here we are in Prineville and it's snowing and and I got like a hundred people like, can you come plow my driveway? Can you come and do my driveway? Can you, you know, I'm like, well, technically you need to call Alan, you know, or you need to call, but, uh, but as we would go, or as we'd go with Mark through the trailer park and Blaine and Jeremy and I are just shoveling driveway, it's like, Lord, all my flesh just wants to shut up and be like, hey, I hope you don't get stuck, you know, and then just like, gotta just, Lord, help me push through that and just speak of you and testify of how you dug me out of the pit of the snow of my sin that was killing me and suffocating me. And, and Lord, you um, went out of your way to save me and to help me. And even when they give you that look like, you got to be kidding me, you're doing that right now in my driveway? I mean, I just brought you banana bread, you know? And uh, it's like, okay, Lord, be strong. You got to be, just be strong in you and in your power and in your might. This isn't a motivational speech here tonight, guys, out of Ephesians chapter 6. This is go to where the strength is and tap into it. It is in his strength and in his power. And I really feel like tonight I'm kind of a Jonathan speaking to David's. Uh, there is a David. Hey, I'm speaking to a David who's going to Nepal. So uh, Jonathan spoke to David and it said in 1 Samuel 23, 16, that he went to David in the woods and he strengthened his hand in God. And so I just really feel there's, Real exhortations to the Nepal team tonight. Raise your hand real quick if you're on the Nepal team going out. And we've got Nate and Terry and Dustin and David and Shannon and Pam and Blaine and Tim, who's uh, in Corvallis right now. Uh, and so, you know, gosh, this is a word for you guys, that uh, as the Lord would strengthen your hand in God. But there's a lot of opportunity here in Prineville tonight uh, for us to go out to our neighbors and to serve them and to lay our lives down for them and to tell of Jesus who did that for us and to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And it's in the Lord. And you might just, some of you have pens and you're note takers, you might just underline, it's in the Lord. There's a box, you put a box around that, put shining rays coming out of it. That that is where we find that strength, that might capability that we can be able we can be capable we can just and many of you have been to nepal before and you know what it's like when you're going up the trail and there's the villager and he's chopping wood or you know packing the the sheaves you know or whatever it might be and you just remember remember guys going out of your way to here's a track and i'm just gonna just spend some extra time just ministering the gospel to you i'm going to open like it's nothing if we're just on a trail trip that's nothing you know, and maybe you guys can just, after church, just speak to these guys and just be like, man, just encourage you. I've been there, but just there's great blessings in going out and trusting the Lord in that. But God wants to call us tonight in the midst of a battle that, that we'll get into to strength, to ability, to capability, 
to, to being strong. Um, my sister made a gift for Russell for his r- new room, and it's instead of it saying Star Wars in the Star Wars um, font, it says Russell in the Star Wars font. And then it has 1 Corinthians 16, 13, and Russell was like, Dad, I've got it memorized. I've just been sitting in bed staring at that thing on my wall. But it says, watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave, be strong. These are just imperatives, guys, like watch, stand, be brave, be strong. And I like the ESV, some of you've got it. Act like men. Act like men. Be strong, be of good courage, be a man. To be strong in the Lord is to be strong in his cause. It's to feel that he is our strength and to rely upon him and his precious promises. So be strong, Paul exhorts us to. Then he gets into this battle that we're in. He says, verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the, de- of the devil. In other words, clothe yourself in the weapons of his armor. You know, we've been studying in Ephesians that we're to put off the old man and put on the new man. The old man of of death and sin, the new man of righteousness and of faith. Well, that new man, those clothes that you put on, those new new man clothes actually have armor. They have mail, they have shields and bucklers and swords. Put it on. Clothe yourselves. We just as a family uh, watched the Chronicles of Narnia. And there's the scene where uh, St. Nicholas, you know, shows up with his sleigh and he gives... Uh, Peter and Susan and Edmund and Lucy, you know, he gives them the weaponry, if you remember that, or if you've read the book. Um, And, you know, it's just great, because here's Peter, you know, he's this British kid that's alive during World War II, you know, and he's got a shield and a sword all of a sudden, and he's like trying to figure out how to use it, you know. Uh, And Edmund actually didn't get, some of you are like, you're lying, Rory, Edmund didn't get anything. Uh, You know, uh, little Lucy gets this little dagger, you know, just this little dagger. Um, But God has given us an armory uh, to put on and to clothe ourselves. The language is, um, I had, you know, it's a new word for me this week, is the panoply, or panoply, rather. And it means this whole, the whole totality of the armor. And when using that word in the Greek, panoply, my also favorite board game, uh, <laughs> sorry, um, it means don't just put on one article of the armor and don't just arm yourself with one tool or one um, part of defense, but put the whole thing on so that you can stand in entirety. Uh, I've been looking forward to teaching this, and I was like, man, I just want to talk to um, my brother who knows about battle. And uh, Troy Koski is in my core group, and he's um, a National Guardsman, a staff sergeant, and went to Afghanistan. And uh, he was at core group um, a couple mornings ago, or a couple weeks ago, and I just said, man, I just got to ask you, as a soldier, like, really, how important is body armor? Like, really, you know? And he just, like, kind of kind of across the room was just like, it is so important. And it brings so much safety and so much protection. And he says, it's just unreal. He's like, I mean, it even affects the way that you shoot your gun in battle and the way you stand against the enemy. You know, your temptation is to kind of stand like this and make a bit of a narrower thing for them to hit. But you stand like this and you shoot your machine gun like this because you want all your armor exposed. You don't want it 
in between the, the sides or the, you know, man, you want as much body armor that you can get. And then he just said, uh, it's just almost not even fair. You know, the, our enemy in Afghanistan, you know, they, they don't have armor. They don't even know how to really properly use their weapons. Um, and it, it's just not even a match. And with our armor and our tanks and our, uh, he just said, man, the armor, um, an army is nothing without its armor. And so it's true for us tonight as well, this armor that we're to put on and to grow in putting on, even in the next few days, putting on this armor and arming ourselves with weapons. And let's look at 2 Corinthians 10.4. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity in to the obedience of Christ. And so, uh, you know, our temptation, and, and as we've gone to Nepal before, we see human trafficking and we see the system of extortion and the mafia-run business and the kidnapping. And you see this stuff and, you know, our reaction is to just get in the flesh and like, why don't we call the Navy SEALs in and break this ring up, you know? And, and ultimately it comes down to that there needs to be gospel transformation in this in this in this world that is so that sex trafficking is such um, a problem an epidemic um, that that is where the true change is it's when the kingpins are saved and we go to war not with the navy seals going in and breaking it up but with prayer and if you remember one night we were praying about the the trafficking in this world and the lord was growing me in just specific prayers and call out numbers and call out you know and we were here praying and I was like, Lord, tonight, break up an operation somewhere. Just break it up. And he's like, I can't, like how many people do you want me to save out of, a, out of a trafficking in a sting? Five, Lord, five. Save five people. You know, it's just like, I got this much faith, you know. Uh, five people. And then Aaron texted me either that night or that morning, like, did you read this before you prayed that? That in Tennessee there was a, a sting and five girls were freed out of sex uh, trafficking last night? I was like, I had no idea. That's, you know, and so, uh, man, prayer, uh, which we're going to see in a little bit, and faith, which we're going to see in a little bit, are great weapons um, in, our, in our armory to stand against the wiles. Um, but those, those weapons, they're not carnal. They're not M16s that we use. It's not Abrams tanks. It's not F16s. It's, it's prayer. It's the word of God. It's the sword of the spirit and the defense of the armor. Uh, so that we could stand, it says, against the wiles of the devil. Um, we could stand against the scheming craftiness. In the Greek, it's Diablo, which is also Spanish. <laughs> the Diablo, you know, stand against him and his wiles. And we can't read this uh, living in our day and age without thinking of wily coyote, you know, and just that idea of this guy wanted to stop that roadrunner, you know, this coyote. And he had all kinds of plans and all kinds of tricks and all kinds of schemes. And whether it was from the air and little rockets and sticks of dynamites and anvils falling from the sky and little mechanisms, um, he was trying to trick that roadrunner uh, to become his feast. And that's the idea here is it, it, it means machines and mechanisms and entrapments and enslaves that the enemy is trying to do against us. It speaks of not coming at us in a front-to-front -front battle 
as we remember, revolutionary war tactics were at the time where the red coats, you know, we just go out into a field and it's like, all right, you shoot first. You know, now our turn. You know, and like the last guy alive is like, we win, you know, and we realize like that is a horrible way to fight a war. And so we went towards more guerrilla type tactics and we started pushing the enemy back. You know, it was a similar issue in the Vietnam era where, you know, we were, you know, we had battle lines in previous wars and we knew where the end, and all of a sudden they're down in caves and they're hiding under, you know, and it was a whole different type of warfare, similar to the Pacific campaign. But it's the idea of what is happening um, in the spiritual realm uh, that this wily devil, he's not coming at us where we can expect him and have, you know, no fear uh, because we're ready for it. He's coming at us when we least expect it. And he's using machines to entrap us. Uh, Paul wrote to the Corinthians, um, we need to be on guard lest Satan should take advantage of us. We, we're not ignorant of his devices. And so in this battle, we want to know who our enemy is and what he's doing, what his methods are, what his battle plan is. And part of it is also written in 2 Corinthians 11 that Satan himself transforms into an angel of light. And so it's no great thing if his ministers even transform themselves into angels of light. You see his little guerrilla tactics? Like he seems like it's good when it's really poison, it's bad. He told the, or the Thessalonians that the coming of the lawless one is with all kinds of power and signs and lying wonders. We wouldn't expect that coming from Satan. Let's move on in our text, verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. You know, the, the Greeks who Paul was writing to, they had this uh, understanding of the wrestling match in the Greek games. But Paul takes it even deeper to a fight and a battle. And he just wants us to know it's not, it's not the Hebraism of man on man or flesh and blood but it's against something of a spiritual nature rather than a physical nature. And that's something to remember as we're going. And, and you know, we remember last year just people getting sick like crazy in Nepal uh, where you're just like, this is, there's something spiritual going on. Or we remember the plane, um, you know, uh, getting canceled on our first trip. And, and it seemed like the whole trip was done for in the first hour of the trip because this flight's canceled and Arab Emirates, or, um, Arab Emirates doesn't honor this flight and you know and so like wow that was a short trip as we just showed up in Portland just to turn around and go back but we knew that there was something going on that was greater than just a plane getting you know stuck in the snow or a jeep having its gas tank punctured up in the Himalayas you know it's not about the gas tank you know it's about what the enemy is doing here and so let's go to prayer and we trust that as you guys are praying for us um, you're going to recognize that as well as you hear things like, man, there's a spiritual battle. And so let's go to war. Um, I like what Clark wrote that we're to understand the different orders as Paul wrote of principalities and powers. He said, we're to understand different orders of evil spirits who are all, un who are all employed <laughs> rather under the devil, their great head to prevent the spread of the gospel to the world. And that's really at the heart of it, what this warfare is about, to prevent the spread of the gospel to the world. Think about that the next time 
you're going through something and you discern that it, there's something spiritual going on, that all of this is just so that the Spirit isn't able to move through me to preach the gospel and to be a light in my community or in the world. <clears throat> the battles against rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness that are malicious and they're in heavenly places, which means they're from the sky. They've left where we think they should remain. Like, yeah, you guys just stay up there in the sky realm and they've come here to do battle with us. So verse 13 gives us some encouragement in how to deal with such warfare. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand, Verse 14, stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. So bring alongside the weapons and the armor. Take them with you to Nepal. Arm yourselves these next two weeks with it as we go to battle to get the gospel to a fallen world. And having done all to stand. You know, here we are, we're being equipped with the word tonight. We're being given understanding of what's really going on deeper than what we can see on a historical perspective, on a timeline. And, and God has given us war, um, weapons of warfare to use to have victory on that timeline and to have victory in our day and age. And we're aware of that. Tonight we're equipped with that. Um, and so now having, after tonight, having done all to like get that, now do it. <laughs> Having done all to stand, now stand. Stand, therefore. And you do that by girding your waist with truth. And we get into the first article of um, the armory. And most of, it are, most of them are defense. And, and there's a couple that are more offensive. But the first article is girding up yourself, your waist with truth, or the belt of truth. A couple different versions put it this way. Having fastened on the belt of truth. Or having girded your loins with truth. The NIV says, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. It's really interesting because the belt of the Roman or Greek soldier, it wasn't an article of fashion, to, to make a fashion statement, you know. Um, it was something that was uh, paramount to the rest. It really was like a foundation to the rest of your armor. It was similar to Batman's, uh, what, do, what does he have? Is it just the bat belt or what do they call it? What does he call it? Utility. See, yeah. how do you know that? <laughs> I'm like looking over here. Come on, guys. What does Batman wear? His utility belt. You know, I mean, he's that belt is, Batman's nothing without his bat belt. You know what I'm saying? And uh, in the sense, it's the same thing with us. We've got this central thing that kind of everything else either hangs off, off of or is fastened together. Um, one man wrote that the girdle was the bracer up or the support of the body in the same way truth is suited to brace us up and to gird us for constancy and firmness. It's kind of like when we're lifting weights, you know, or we're packing boxes and you get those back brace belts on you know and it's something that just gives you stability it helps you lift things right it helps you use your core right and that's what this belt the belt of truth is uh 
Barnes writes, the girdle kept all the parts of the armor in their proper place and preserved firmness and constancy to the dress so truth might give constancy to our conduct. And then he quotes this guy named Grotius who said, it's the laxity of falsehood, but truth binds a man. So falsehood is laziness. But standing on truth, it, it's a solidity to your core. It keeps our morals true. It keeps our duty of religion true. It keeps us unexposed as the rest of our armor is also fitted to that belt. The belt of truth. We've talked a lot about that recently as, as in chapter 4, you know, Paul says, put away lying, you know. Uh, but speak the truth to one another. We're members of one body, so why would we lie to one another? And just in core groups and talking to guys like, man, I'm all of a sudden seeing all these like little white lies, you know, that are full-blown dark lies that I'm, you know. And man, I just was about to lie to my boss about this, and I was like, oh man. And it just, the word of God exposes like, see how much you're lying? Or maybe we're lying to God about who we are before him or what we do before him. It's like, be truthful. Let's Let's use this foundation of truth the word of god the canon of the scriptures uh, and stick to it as our belt of truth moving on having put on the breastplate of righteousness or niv with the breastplate of righteousness in place and so you know you don't have to be too smart to just put these armor pieces together and just see man you've got a breastplate and as you study it it had a back plate with it you know and, uh, and so those protect, those vital organs, uh, the, the heart and the lungs and the gut, you know, there's protection uh, there with that armor. And in the same, bringing it down to a spiritual level, um, man, our righteousness and our integrity and our purity is stored up there in, in our heart. And, you know, I've told you so many times about how when I talk about putting on the armor, you know, for me, it was as a kid, like, okay, kids, you know, we're going to put on the armor on our way to school, and that's really good, and I'm, and I'm just so lax in that, um, and I hated that as a kid, uh, doing that, you know, because I was rebelling against, you know, being shepherded towards spiritual things by my family, but the more I've studied this this week, and it seems like everyone I read, when we get to this breastplate of righteousness passage, it's not so much like, okay, um, now I'm going to put on the breastplate of righteousness, you know, and then go about my day. Rather, when we live a lifestyle, day to day, our practice is that we are living righteous lives of integrity and conviction and virtue based on the word of God. When we're living that way, we are putting on ourselves that breastplate. When we are living a lifestyle of righteousness, this very important life, you know, um, this, this place to protect, that, that life depends upon, is protected. But if we live a life of compromise and letting a little bit of the world in, and giving place to the wicked one a little bit here, what we do is allow chinks in our armor. And it's interesting, 
the kings, uh, the chronicles of the kings write about the king of Israel and how he was out in, in the battle in his armor. And as he turned away, an archer struck him between the creases of his armor and the arrow went in and he ended up dying. And it's such a word for us. As we're going to Nepal to shore up that area, uh, to have the Lord examine us in our truth about ourselves and our righteous living, and to let God bring purity, and before we go, to let righteousness and integrity and virtue and conviction be something that you don't just throw on on a, on a, you know, a Monday afternoon, you know, um, but it's, it's a lifestyle. And of course, in our praying and in our just disciplining ourselves, you know, we can pray and Lord, put on the breastplate on me today and protect me. But I've just found in my studying, it was just a new light to me. It's not just like slap it on. It's, um, it's, it's Lord, it's help me to live this way, protect me. But I like what one man wrote. He said, but it also may be added here that we need a righteousness which God alone can give. The righteousness of God, our Savior, to make us perfectly invulnerable to all the arrows of the foe. And so as we go into this week, not only the Nepal members, but all of us that are that team, uh, let's let the Lord bring righteousness and rain down righteousness on us as we seek him together these next few weeks, protecting and shoring up that armor. Verse 15, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. You know, one of the only places I ever hear that term shod is when I'm referring to horses or I'm working with farriers. And after the horses put shoes on, he's been shod. You want a well-shod horse. And so it's kind of cool to see that applied to, um, to the man and to the foot soldier and then to the Christian, that they would be well-shod or that sandals would be put on, that they would be ready for action. All kinds of different boots that we wear for different things. I'm in the market for a good pair of snow boots right now. Uh, and, you know, but we've got all, you know, if you're in track, you wear the little snug little sneakers, you know, with the spikes sticking out of them, you know. If you're logging, you've got a type of boot that's got spikes out of them. No, and there's all kinds, hip waders and this and that. And you've, they've got to be fit for the task. And what Paul is referring to, the Greeks and the Romans, in fact, Josephus actually wrote historically about how the Romans, you know, you got Phil Knight living back in like, uh, you know, 500 B.C., and he developed this type of Roman cleat that had these brass spikes coming out that made it, you know, it, it made their, their effectiveness in battle so much more with the grip and the ability uh, to move, uh, as well as with a shin guard type thing that they would wear made out of brass. But what are we prepared with? What are our shoes? It says it's with the preparation of the gospel of peace. It's with the readiness of the good news to go out. That is what these shoes are. ESV says, as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. One translation says, put on whatever will make you ready to proclaim the gospel of peace. <laughs> so as we're shoveling driveways, it's like, I'm putting on my snow boots right now so I can go out and proclaim the gospel. Whatever it is, put it on so you can go preach the gospel. That we'd be ever ready to go forth and spread the gospel. 
This takes me, and it would take you too, I'm sure, to Romans 10.15, where it says, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. How beautiful are those feet? Our, our feet are what cause us to go. To go out and make this gospel of peace known to all men. Verse 16, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. It's interesting, he uses this word above all. And it's not necessarily that it's a more important part but rather, it's kind of a part that overshadows all of the others. And the shield, that he, there were a bunch of different types of shield that they would use, different shapes, sizes for different types of combat. But it's mostly agreed upon that the type of shield that Paul's referring to, it was about the size of a door. And it was like this all-encompassing um, you know, piece of armory with animal skins and metal around it and shaped a certain way, but but that it would just provide full coverage to all the other articles of armor as well to just keep you safe from the enemy. And it's interesting that faith in the same way is that thing that causes these, these other parts of the armor to be effective. For instance, it's by faith and by trusting in the Lord that we stand on the truth of God's word. Or that we are vulnerable about who we are and truthful about who we are, trusting that the Lord has called us to that. It's by faith that we um, that we uh, we would that we would shut off shows and and um, you know stop speaking these certain words, and that we would just move towards integrity and righteousness in our life, believing that what God says is true. It's by faith that we would. Um, go to Nepal or go to our neighbor or go across the workstation and open up our mouths with, the sh with those gospel of peace. Our shoes took us there because faith moved us in that direction. We believed in the promises of God. The Christian faith is this shield. God is all about providing a shield for us that we don't need to be afraid because of this. But above all, take this shield. And if you would, you know, look at Hebrews 11. I think I've got it on, on, the, um, on the slide there. You know, we've got the hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. Where we have these characters that, you know, it was written down of their lives. The mighty things that they did in the power of the Lord because they trusted the Lord. And here we have, by faith. You know, you can kind of see the shield of faith here that Moses would raise up when he was grown up. He refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God uh, than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. And with his shield, he esteemed the reproach of Christ, even as Moses, before Christ, he esteemed the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, he looked to the reward. And that was a shield for Moses. Uh, you take the shield up in Hebrews 11.30. By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. By faith the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she'd received the spies with her. And so you just see these people, these heroes of the faith, lifting up the shield of faith. And you've got to love Hebrews 11.32-40. 
And what more shall I say, for the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness they were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead back to life again. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trials of mocking, scourgings, chains, imprisonments. They were stoned, sawn in two, tempted. They were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. And all these, having obtained a good testimony, through faith did not receive the promise. So uh, going on to say you know, that he wanted to include us New Testament Christians in the promise as well. So because of the shield of faith, all those other things were, were used rightly and God accomplished great things and battles were won because of it. Because our adversary, Peter tells us, the devil walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So we resist him with our shield. It says, resist him steadfast in the faith. How do we resist the enemy, the roaring lion? With our faith. Believing God, believing his promises. As long as a soldier has his shield, he feels secure. Troy was telling me about this vehicle that they have that's just amazing. Um, you know, they, it's just full on armored and the big old just drives around, rumble, 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 you know, and he can be in there. And, you know, his job is to kind of get out and run after the bad guys as they kind of show themselves. But in the meantime, there's a guy in this vehicle with a, like a camera and a joystick, infrared camera and a Gatling gun essentially on the top of the vehicle and grenade launchers. And just, they can see where the bad guys are. And he just, you know, uh, in that vehicle. And he's like, man, I love that thing. That just saves my life. I don't need to get out and run around most of the time because I'm in the shield. It's protecting me. And what a great picture of our faith. But Paul brings it to that spiritual level where you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. The wicked one is shooting burning arrows and missiles at us. He's this guilty criminal that's trying to take everyone down with him. These are blasphemous thoughts shot at us. These are thoughts of unbelief shot at us and sudden temptations to do wrong. Thoughts that wound or torment the soul. These are fiery darts. These are missiles launched at us. They come suddenly and unexpectedly from unexpected quarters and they pierce and they penetrate and they torment these fiery darts. And yet with the shield of faith, those flames come and they just go out. They lose their power. They lose their bite. They're rendered uh, defenseless. Verse 17, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. This helmet of salvation or the hope of salvation. The idea here is that just a stable hope of salvation will keep us going in the midst of conflict. Knowing what the word of God says about our assurance of salvation. It's a guard against our noggin 
when the enemy comes to condemn us. And John speaks about that. When the enemy condemns you, the Lord is greater than the enemy and he knows our hearts. Trusting the Lord and having faith uh, in him is a shield as well over our head and it defends this very vital part. One man once said that a soldier will not fight well if he has no hope of victory. And if we have no hope of our salvation, we will not fight well either. And what are we even doing this for? So rejoice in salvation. Sing songs about your salvation. Quote scripture about your salvation. I was reading that um, many of these helmets that the Greeks would wear, they had different emblems on them showing their ranks and showing even um, where they were from, things like that. And, uh, and so the idea is that this helmet, the emblem would be on it um, of the cross and of salvation, protecting our brain and our center of thought. Um, he wrote to the Thessalonians to put on the breastplate of faith and love and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. The hope of salvation. And so you remember going back to that thought of like, don't just slap on the breastplate of righteousness, live righteous lives. And the, and the same idea though is that as we go to prayer in the morning, before you know, before we're in the middle of the battle, before we're in the heat of the temptation, before the condemning, in the beginning of the day, we go towards that putting on our armor and spending time meditating on, Lord, you've given me truth to just gird me up with. So help me stay firm and stable in the truth today. Lord, you've given me a, just righteousness in Jesus Christ. Just protect my integrity, my convictions today. Help me live a life pleasing Oh, Lord, you've given a commission to me to go. And so, Lord, just today, just put those shoes on me and just help me ready. It's just a preparation of the gospel of peace. Lord, as I go out of here, I'm running with the gospel. Those are beautiful feet. And so, Lord, I even just, I know it happens every day when I struggle or when that temptation or that thought comes. Oh, that wicked one, he's telling me I'm not saved, I'm not born again. Oh, Lord, just right now at the beginning of the day, just secure my thought life you know, um, put that helmet of the hope of salvation on me that I would never waver of what you've done to secure me and to save me. This uh, last article of armory is an offensive weapon, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Word of God is a sword. As Hebrews 4.12, I think we have that on the screen. Your mind probably goes here as well. In high school, this was one of my favorite uh, verses, but i uh, not sure if it's up there. It says that the word of God, it's alive, it's powerful, and it's sharper than any double-edged sword, that it has a piercing work, that it pierces to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow. And so it's interesting, the word of God, man, it goes physically, it goes spiritually, and it discerns the thoughts and intents of the heart. That's what the word of God does. And so something that we use as an offensive tool, it's the scriptures. Because it's able to, to surgically, precisely hit those areas. You know, thinking of missiles these days and how technologically advanced they are. Those bunker busters, you know, and just either laser guided or GPS guided. They go right in there and they go deep and they go right to where it needs to be hit. And they hit that area in the same way the word of God goes right 
to the heart of the matter as a wonderfully wonderful offensive tool. Interesting, later on in the book of Revelation, we see Jesus, when he's like conquering uh, and, and in victory, he's using the sword, the double-edged sword that comes out of his mouth uh, to speak these words of victory in the book of Revelation. Speaking of Jesus, remember when he was tempted in Matthew chapter 4? Every time the devil himself was tempting Jesus, what did he do uh, to resist? Anybody remember? Quoted Deuteronomy. He quoted the word of God. And just, it rendered the devil powerless. Uh, and he would flee. He would leave. But we get into one more offensive tool that's kind of transitioned out of the idea of armor. Um, but, it, but it is an offensive weapon. In verse 18, we're only going through verse 20. So just bear with me, guys, and press in hearing from the Lord in this. And I think this is very applicable to our church right now. Verse 18 Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for the saints. And so one of our greatest weapons are prayer and pleas with the Lord. Prayer in the closet in our personal prayer time, uh, prayer with the family, prayer at the social meeting, prayer at the great assembly, praying at unusual hours, praying in the middle of the night, Praying when we're tempted, praying just because we feel like praying, praying when we don't feel like praying. Praying is an incredible tool. It's been said in a poem, restraining prayer we cease to fight. Prayer makes the Christian armor bright. And Satan trembles when he sees the meanest saint upon his knees. So what a wonderful tool and weapon is prayer. And in our prayer, we like to close our eyes when we pray, and that might be still well be, be well and good, but in our prayers, we're watchful. We're aware of what's going on. We're watchful to this end with perseverance, endurance. Keep praying, keep seeking, keep asking, keep knocking, Jesus said. And he would tell those parables of the unrighteous judge who had the widow come, and she kept nagging him about wanting justice and Finally, because he wearied her with her incessant nagging, he finally just said, fine, have what you want and leave me, and leave me alone. And Jesus says, how much more will the righteous judge give those who ask for justice? And the same with the, the neighbor, you know, who kept knocking at the door. And finally, what do you want? I need some food for my neighbor. All right, man, just quit knocking. I'll give you what you want. And the Lord says, do that. Keep praying. Keep supp um, supplicating in the spirit. Men ought to pray always and not lose heart. And so with that, this keep praying idea, um, it was really cool. Because last week, uh, I met with the, the teaching crew who's going to be teaching for me uh, while we're gone in Nepal. And um, this is a great time just learning even more how to study the Bible. And, and um, Kevin asked it, I think, like, so while you're gone, um, you know, are we going to be praying for you guys as a church? And... And Jeremy even asked it the other day. So we're going to be praying for you guys while you're gone. And and uh, I just said, man, just every year I want to see what the Lord's going to do. You know, I want it to be the spirit that's drawing people, you know, regularly to pray. And, and these guys just all just said, man, I just can't see how you can go and we won't be praying regularly together. And so, uh, and so these guys all divvied up times that they'll be down here opening up the church. 6 a.m., 6 p.m., 
every single day that we're gone, uh, the church will be gathering to pray and supplicate with watchfulness as you guys get updates from us. Be praying, be going to battle, be fighting the fight for us. And I'll just tell you right now, and so many of these guys that have been before with us can tell you that um, two things. To know at 6 a.m., like, there they are. They're mindful of us. They're praying for us. That is so encouraging. Last year, Jason was sending texts uh, to Jeremy, just specific things that were prayed out, and they were exactly what we needed to hear as we were violently throwing up, sick along the trail, uh, encountering spiritual warfare, uh, weirdos, you know, trying to, like, lead us to do weird things, you know, that were like, I don't think we should go with that guy. You know, you're just like, ah, we need discernment, Lord, and, and just like, we're praying this for you. We're praying this for you. We're praying this for you. The year before, uh, our team was in a Sherpa village, and we had done our drama, the King of Hearts, like a mime act to tell the people the gospel. And there's about, I don't know, 30 little kids just like totally into it right in front of us. And like a lot of the village had come out, and they're watching kind of from, you know, step back a bit. And they're all watching. We've done this whole drama. They get nothing like this there in the Sherpa village, you know, so they're like, Ooh, and, uh, and the kids just like, oh. we're pretty good actors over there. We're kind of famous. Um, but anyways, uh, I begin to share the gospel. And here I am in like this white t-shirt with a heart on it, you know. And I'm like, let me tell you something wonderful. <laughs> and, uh, and I begin to just speak about the black heart that we had had on our shirts. And there, there was a need to be, to be washed and made red. And, and uh, all of a sudden in the hotel across the street, this, this little bed and breakfast type thing, I hear, shut up, shut up, and just begin cussing and screaming, and and just right away, just sense like spiritual attack, and everyone's just kind of looking around, shut up, and comes just bombing out of this, out of this cafe, uh, and I'm just waiting to like see like a demon, you know, just like, what's it gonna look like, you know, and um, it just was slow motion, as he he came across this this village square and um, just came right at me. I thought he was going to hit me, um, waiting for like the manifestation of the demon. And uh, and I'm getting ready to, I'm like, Lord, don't let me punch him. That would just ruin my witness right now. And But I'm going to drop him right, you know. And, um, and just there was a whole lot that happened, you know. Uh, basically, just the Lord gave me like a calm tone to speak with him. And then our little translator, who's probably this tall, like stepped in front of me and was like, you, you go sit down, you go drink tea, you go on, you go sit down, drink tea. And, uh, and just, there was like a stop to it. And he just turned around and went and sat down and like started drinking tea. And I looked at my watch and it was the time that the church here was at prayer. And it was just comforting. And I knew that there had been a, a war, a battle that had been raging. And our whole team rejoiced in that. Not only that, but every year, the Footstool Project goes, your church is gathering every day, multiple times a day to pray. That's, that's incredible. And I would encourage you guys to come and to join that and to hear the exhortation from Paul as much as possible. I would encourage family members to come and to be encouraged as well because there's not only warfare going to be going on in Nepal, there's warfare going on here and it's going to be against the wives and the kids. There's going to be warfare going on against our whole church because the enemy does not like that we are advancing the gospel in a highly unreached nation. 
in your prayers, would you pray what Paul asked for prayer? Look in verse 19. And for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth to boldly make known the mystery of the gospel. Would you pray for us that we would be able to communicate the gospel with boldness and with power in a way that the Nepali people, who we have translators translating for translators sometimes, that they would be able to comprehend it. Some of our powerful witnessing times, even last year, was getting what they call the, the Buddhist wheel of life that basically explains you know, the great demon and how he decides who goes where based on their karma and eventually if they've been good enough after you know, thousands of different reincarnations, maybe their life will just be snuffed out so that there's no more suffering of any kind. And, um, but a Christian man has repainted. He got saved out of Buddhism. He used to be a, a wheel of life artist and he got saved and he drew one for Christianity. He tells the story of Jesus and how he's conquered death and suffering and wants to give that to us as well. Just incredibly powerful times. But would you pray for those times that we would be bold to, you know, the, the Nate whales would be like, give me that, it's called the Tonka, give me that Tonka, you know, and he would just be over there, Jesus, look what he's done to, to so- solve the problem of suffering that the Buddhists are so concerned about, uh, you know, that we've got machine operators from ranches opening up, we've got aeronautical engineers just like, give me the Tonka, let me preach the gospel, let me open up my mouth with boldness, you know, that we would be brave and courageous and full of the Holy Spirit, as Jesus said we would be, endued with power from on high to open up our mouths and to preach the gospel. Um, I'm trying out a new method this year in my witnessing. Um, I spent probably an hour and a half today um, downloading all kinds of pictures that tell the story of the gospel that I could have my iPad, basically where there's that language barrier, and just walk through creation, the fall, you know, um, sin and death entering the world, uh, all the way through trying to live a perfect life, but not able to do it, all the way through Jesus coming and serving and healing and conquering demons and uh, being betrayed and being arrested and, you know, willingly laying his life down on the cross, but not staying dead in the grave, conquering death, uh, being, being seen by eyewitnesses and calling us to go love the world and tell them about what he's done and giving us victory as chains are, you know, pray for that. Just pray, Rory in his little dumb Google image search, you know, and he's over there like, you know, the, 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 the story of the gospel would be the power of God unto salvation. Would you guys go to prayer for that? We've got tracks that we're handing out. Uh, we've got many different methods. We're looking at some videos that we may be able to share, but that we would be bold and brave and courageous. Uh, And we'll be praying that for you as well, uh, that you would tell. You know how many times I've gotten to tell people the gospel because I told them what our church does in Nepal? Uh, Getting, trying on some boots over there, menswear, you know, menswear house, men's, Granville menswear house. Uh, No house, just the wear. Uh, Yeah, waited till you were gone, yep. (laughs) I wanted to witness to somebody. No, you know, I just got my foot up there and he's lacing it up. I'm like, I'm probably not going to buy these, but keep lacing that thing. And, uh, you know, and he's like, didn't you guys go to Nepal? And just got to tell him, like, why we even go? And that these people haven't heard about Jesus and, and the hope of salvation and telling of God's desire for the world in Prineville to know of that hope. We pray that for you guys as well. Moving on, just closing out here. 
Verse 20 says, For which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Paul was in chains when he wrote this. But what's something that's so cool, when he wrote to Timothy, he talked about being in the point of chains. And he said this, listen to this. He wrote, But the word of God is not chained. The word of God is not chained. I remember when John Wang, I think he was quoting someone else, but he said, not John Wayne, by the way, don't get excited. It's my Korean friend, John Huang. Um, but he said, the gospel, uh, sorry, total letdown, Johnny. Um, Nate, you don't got to leave. Okay, okay, it's John Wayne. Um, no, uh, he said, the gospel is, is a bulldog. You don't have to defend it, just unleash it. The word of God is not chained, unleash it. So pray for us. We would have boldness to unleash the word of God. Don't you love this though? That I may speak boldly again, courageously, as I ought to speak. This is something we ought to do. As Romans 12 says, that we would offer up our living bodies, our our bodies, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. And then he says this, which is our reasonable service or our reasonable act of worship. So these are good times because we're kind of like, wow, God wants us to be bold witnesses. Isn't it good to be reminded of that? Like when I go to work, he wants me to open up my mouth. He wants me to be courageous. He wants me to be bold. He wants me to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And he supplied the power through the sending of the Holy Spirit. He didn't leave us as orphans, but he sent the helper, the comforter, the one to bring dynamic power that we could be witnesses even to the point of death. That's encouraging to me. He wants to give us that even more than we want it. And so we're going to go to prayer. And-